So as I mentioned, we're going to continue with the rhythms of life, and um, maybe we can better understand that if we think about um, our daily routines of life, what we do every day, get up, have coffee, do our quiet time, whatever the case may be. Maybe it's our expectations that we have for the day. And some of you are, are like me, you like to plan right now. You don't think about tomorrow. And some of you plan for tomorrow. And some of you plan your week. Some of you are so organized that you can order groceries at Walmart and pick them up and know what you're going to have all week long. I can't do that. I get mine on the way home. And some of you plan a month and year and maybe you have five-year goals. Right? That's our rhythms of life. And Pastor Joel started the series and spoke to us about attitudes last week and of the rhythms of life. And it was such a great message. And so this week I'm going to visit with you a little bit about maybe what we call assumptions or, or, or maybe I should explain that maybe even maybe some decisions or maybe the thinking that we're going through related to our rhythm of life. And here on the board is sort of a definition that we're using for this rhythms of life and it's, it's daily ideas, patterns and practices that are found in our everyday lives that often determine how we interact and how we respond to life. If you would, pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time we have together. And Father, we thank you for being here with us. And, and Father, truly, it's your breath in our lungs, in my lungs, Father. And, and I'm just a vessel. I'm not a perfect vessel, Father. I have cracks and I have holes. And, and Father, I don't always get it right. But thank you for the opportunity to use me this morning. And I just pray that my words would have wings and reach those that are here to hear. In your son's name, amen. Can anybody agree with me or maybe feel what I'm feeling when I say the past year and a half has been, really been a disruption to our daily rhythms of life? I mean, the pandemic has really interrupted our daily ideas and patterns and practices. I'm sure you guys are with me. I want to share with you sort of early on how this pandemic stuff started. And I'm going to share with you some excerpts from some Department of Health um, rules or mandates that they put out. And so they call them health orders. And we'd heard early 2020 about this pandemic. I went back and looked and I, I found some early news reports in January that it was coming or maybe it was here. It was definitely around the world. But on March 12th here in New Mexico, of 2020, the Department of Health issued a health order, one of the first, and I'm not going to read the whole five or six thing, page thing to you. I just want to pull out, it says, and I quote, I direct that all mass gatherings are hereby prohibited. We can't get together. Four days later, that health order was updated to read, all restaurants, bars, breweries, eateries, and other food service establishments shall operate at no greater than 50% of capacity. Three days after that, we get the big whammy. And I quote, New Mexicans must stay home, undertake only those outings absolute necessary for their health, safety, and welfare. Wow, really? A few days after that, it was updated to include these words, houses of worship, could not meet. Mind-boggling. Did we ever even think in your lifetime we would have that? 
What did we experience during the, this part of the pandemic? Well, one was toilet paper shortages. I'm not sure who was buying all that, but it disappeared, right? Paper towel with it. We had to start wearing masks. We used hand sanitizer when we could find it. No more going out to eat. We stayed at home and we ate at home or we early on we couldn't even order in. There were arrows on the floor telling us which direction to go. Go this way, go that way. There were little circles or lines saying stand here for social distancing. There were coin shortages. We're out of coins. There were job losses, business closed, waiting in lines like we'd never seen before, and no live church. And I could go on and on, and you could name your own. And during this time, some of you may even lost a loved one that you weren't able to be with at the end. And I can only pray that God would give you comfort in that. I can only pray that, and I hope that that does happen. I spoke to my 93-year-old aunt, my dad's oldest sister. She lives in the Phoenix area early in the pandemic. Call and check on her every now and then, see how she's doing. And she says to me, and I want to quote what she said because it's stuck in my heart and stuck in my mind. She said, I lived through the Great Depression. I've lived through a great world war. I've had many hard times in my life. I've lost a, a child. I've lost a grandchild. But never, ever, ever did I think I would live in a time where I was told I could not worship my God and my church the way I wanted to. But yet, I'm doing that. Is that really any different maybe than what happened to God's children back when we start looking in Exodus and early on? Do they have interruptions to their daily ideas, patterns, and practices? I think so. You know, if you look back in Exodus, and we'll look at some verses here in a minute, God's people were in bondage. They were inbound, enslaved to the Egyptians. Maybe like a pandemic. But yet they cried out to God. God, deliver us from this, please. And he heard them, right? He sent, he sent this guy named Moses. However, in that daily bondage, they had a routine. They got up. They knew they had to go to work. They were told how many things they had to do each day. They might have been uh, ridiculed. They might have been, you know, made fun of or whatever the case is. But there was a rhythm to their life in bondage. And that rhythm would become very different when God freed them, when God set them free from their slavery. In chapter 14 of Exodus, God has just performed this unbelievable feat. And he had opened the sea. And he had created a path for hundreds of thousands, some sources say two to three million people, counting children and, and, and women, plus the livestock, to walk on dry land. It wasn't muddy. You didn't need mud boots. What a crazy feat if you think about it in your head. Can you imagine that? I have a hard time imagining it. I'm a touch, feel, I want to see it type learner. Does that mean I don't have faith? I don't think so. I just want to know, was the wall 20 foot? Was it two foot? Was there noise? I mean, there's movies out about it, right? Can we touch it? Is it wet? If you touch it, will, you, will it fall down on you? What were people thinking? What were they doing? Remember, faith is those things that we believe in that we cannot see. I can't see that sea. But I have faith, and I know that it happened. The Israelites, however, they saw it. They were there. They were walking on the dry land. They touched 
those lands with their feet. They experienced that what God could do. How awesome that had to be. How awesome to know that God heard your cries and reached out. In fact, it was so awesome that Exodus 15 starts out with them singing a song to God, a praise song. And that song that they were singing ends in verse 18 and it says, The Lord will reign forever and ever. What were they thinking during this time? What were they assuming? Hey, we're free. Yay. They were happy, right? I would think. Maybe they're joyful. Maybe they're excited. I mean, they're singing songs of praise. Maybe they're a little apprehension. Okay, maybe what's ahead of it for us now? But all these good things, right? We're free from slavery. We're no longer bound up and had to be told what to do every day. Keep that in the back of your mind, maybe how they're feeling. Maybe you can add some things to it. We'll read on in verse 20 of chapter 15 in Exodus. It says that Miriam, who uh, the prophet who was Aaron's sister, so that makes her related to Moses, right? Took a tambourine and led all the women as they played their tambourines and danced. And Miriam sang this song. She sang, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. They were dancing in the streets. They were having a great time. Everybody's happy. It's all good. Well, we look forward a little bit, and what we find is the Israelites, after three days of marching in the desert without water, any of you that have biology or have sat in on some of my classes at the university, I saw some of you come in, um, you know we can't go along without water. Two, three days, maybe. Well, they come up on this pond. I like to refer to ag, you know, because that's what we are in this area. We're agriculture-related. There's a pond. It had to be a big pond. It had to be a big body of water because there's hundreds of thousands of people. It takes a lot of water to water that many people. And they're livestock. And they went up to the water, and as Joel shared, they took a taste of it. It was bitter. It was nasty. They spit it out, and they complained. And in Exodus 15, 24, it says, Then the people complained and turned against Moses. And they turned against Moses, not God, but they turned against the guy that brought him out. And it says, what are we going to drink? And they didn't say it in a way, I don't think, like, hey, Moses, look, dude. <laughs> We've been walking three days, and this is what you got for us? No, they were mad. What are we going to drink, Moses? We've walked three days, and you give us this bitter water? They're grumbling, and they're angry. But what was happening three days prior? They were happy, dancing in the streets. God is good. God is great, right? They had all these happy thoughts, and they assumed they were set free. Are we not a lot like God's chosen people in ways? We soon forget what he's provided us for, what we've asked for. Here's an interesting thing I found out preparing for this. So they stopped at the bitter water pond, and what they did not realize... Their next stop on the trip was Elam. And it was a mere five miles away. And what we see in verse 27 about Elam is that after leaving Marah, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elam. And what they found in Elam, they say, is 12 springs and 70 palm trees. They camped beside water. Good water. They just had a short distance to find abundance. Do we as God's people sometimes today also assume that 
the bad things we're in, this relationship, this work, whatever it is in your life that you're in that you think in your mind, oh, I'm just here. I can't get out of it. God's not going to hear me. But then when he does, sometimes we don't realize what's going on. And if we just hang on for a little bit and wait for God and listen, we're just a short distance away from shade and water and in abundance. If we look on in chapter 16 of Exodus, we see one month, one month into a 40 year journey. After leaving Elam and journeying into the wilderness of sin and sin doesn't relate to sin like we think about sin being bad, but it, it, it's a reference to Mount Sinai in the area. And, and God's people are complaining again. If we look in that chapter and start in verse 2, what we see is um, they're crying out to Moses again, all right? And, and it says, There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. The, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. They were wanting to be dead instead of free. They moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat. And ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness. To starve to death. The Lord said to Moses. God said, all right, I've had enough of this. No more complaining. Okay, Moses, here's the deal. Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out. Pick up as much food as they need for that day. And he went on to say, I'm going to test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. Sounds like school, doesn't it? On the sixth day, they will gather food. And when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. Reading on in chapter 16, we see that God provided to his people quail at night, meat, bread in the morning in the form of manna. And the instructions were simple. They were only to take what they needed for the day, about two quarts or omer. That's all the manna they were supposed to take. And what they found is that if they took more than that, the next morning, what was where the manna was? Maggots. Maggots. They didn't follow instructions. They were also told on the sixth day, gather up twice as much as you need. Two omers. Because the seventh is... God's day of rest, the Sabbath. I don't want you out gathering manna on that day. Those that follow instructions, they had two servings, two days. Those that didn't went out on the Sabbath and there's nothing there. And they're complaining, wait, it's been here every day, but just follow the instructions. It says in verse 35, So the people of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they arrived at the land where they would settle. 40 years of manna every day. There's some in my family that won't leave leftovers for two days, <laughs> much less 40 years of manna. I can only assume that after 40 days, they figured out the rules, okay? Don't take more than you need and gather twice as much as you need on the Sabbath. Every one of you here have a COVID story or two or 10. And I just want to share one of you, one with you this morning that relates to me and, and COVID and, and the thinking we're in now. And, and Denise and my wife and I, we founded her company about 21 years ago, a little over now. And part of the task in that company is we keep very detailed statistics. And college students are going, yuck, statistics. But those statistics are very important. Helps us to see where we've been. Helps to see where we are. And helps Denise plan for the future. See what's going to happen. 
Well, on this particular morning, I was looking at numbers that showed me that 2019 had been one of the best years for our company. It was a great year. And the numbers that I was looking at in the statistics, if they proved true for January and February, our company was on task, on target, to have a better year than 2019. The morning I was looking at these numbers was March 13th of 2020. And I shared with you some of the health orders that had come out. In addition to this, Denise and I had found out on March 7th that we had shared a meal with the seventh case of COVID in New Mexico on that day. Unbeknownst to us at the time. So we get a phone call from the Department of Health. We're told to stay home. Don't leave your home. Only for medical necessity or if you need food. Every morning we received a phone call from the health department asking two questions. One, do you have a cough or fever? And what was your fever? And two, have you been around anyone and who was it? This went on for 14 days. And on this particular day, March 13, I'm looking at these numbers that are really good and I'm thinking in my head, listening and seeing what's going on. This is fixing to get really bad. And at the same time, I'm praying, God, don't protect Denise and I from this COVID thing. And he did. Thankfully, we didn't get COVID. And in my heart, I had a deep urgency for the families that we are responsible for in our company. I was thinking, how are we going to keep things going? How are we going to pay them to work? How, how are we going to keep work going? I mean, everything's supposed to shut down. And all this happened overnight. Boom. No time to plan. I was truly in tears that morning at my desk. I was mad. I was anxious. I was stressed. And in my head, I was waking, making up the worst case scenarios you could imagine. I wasn't having faith. I really wasn't. I was assuming this was the end of the world road. It's been 21 great years. You might say I was at bitter waters. Denise came into my office area that morning and saw me struggling and, and, and crying. And, and she came up, and I've shared this with you guys that have heard this in a previous message, this little bit. I showed her the numbers I was stewing over, how good it had been, how bad it's going to be, how could it be anything but bad. I, I shared with her the concerns for the families that we're responsible for, all the kids. And she placed her hand on my back. And she simply said, John, daily manna. That's all we need. Daily manna. And I'm here to tell you, he did that and continues to do that. I just had to have faith to believe. In my head, I was like the Israelites. I jumped from dancing in the streets to complaining very quickly. What can we learn from the Israelites about the rhythms of life and things they went through and, and maybe some assumptions they thought is how about this new normal we're in, right? We, we don't have to wear a mask all the time. But yet, maybe we're in the back of our mind we're thinking and whatever the case may be. So what can we learn from the Israelites? I want to share four things with you I think that we can learn from them today. And, and one is keep the end in mind. Keep the end in mind. What did God promise his people? What did God promise his people back then? And what we find in Genesis early on in the Bible is that 
God says in excuse me, Exodus 6, 7, and 8, He says, I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who has freed you from your oppressions in Egypt. And He goes on in verse 8 to say, I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. Keeping His promise. He had promised that land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Had God not just begun that process by bringing them through the sea on dry land? He's returning the people to the land that He had promised them. And I understand the walls came down around Pharaoh's armies and the men and horses and the song that they sang said that. But to me, that that falling of the water is more important It was the closing of the door. There's no turning back. We can't go back to where we've been. We have to march on to the promised land. Regardless of how many times his people complained, how many times they lashed out at Aaron and Moses, how many times they grumbled, God promised them the land and he was going to deliver. What does he promise for you and I as modern day Christians? In 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 it says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life began. God tells us if we trust Jesus, we're new people. We have a new beginning. The old life, the former life, where we were, the things that we were under is gone. And now we have a new life in Jesus. The door has closed. On our old life. The second thing I think we can learn from these people of God in the wilderness is one, don't look back. Don't look back. Proverbs 23, 7 says, A man thinks in his heart, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It seems that most of what we act out in our life really originates in our mind and our thoughts. Day after day, we dwell on things. If I'd sit there at my desk day after day dwelling on the bad, how bad it was going to be, I really believe that's the way it would have happened. I would have thought my way into a bad situation. Our, part, our thoughts are powerful. And I'm sure you guys have heard the saying, follow your heart. Go where your heart leads you. And there's a lot of truth to this. In Luke 12, 34, we see that it mentions that the Your heart is where your treasures are. The Israelites were wishing to be back where there were pots of meat, lots of bread, lots of clean water. They were having a heart issue. They were recalling back what it was like. How fast they forgot that those pots of meat and that water and the bread were tied to slavery. I'm sure many of you have heard about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? Not a nice place to be. In fact, so bad that hail and brimstone rained down on them from the heavens. And there was a family there, Lot, and his family lived there. And, and Lot's wife, um, she was there, and we don't know her name. They just, it refers to her as Lot's wife. And, and even though this was such a bad place of immorality and a d- disgrace and disgust, her heart was very much tied to that place. She had family there. She might have raised her family there, might have been there for a long time. But Abraham prayed for them, and, and because of his prayers, they were, they were able to leave. 
But they were given one simple instruction. In Genesis 19, verses 17, it says, Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. You know, when I reflect on my own life, I'm, I'm so thankful that God has been there to bring me through some tough times, some bitter water, and I honestly know there's more to come. I really do. I look forward to them. I know I can face, the, face that in faith. But what I've learned in all that is the present pain of whatever I'm going through, the present pain will turn into a wonderful gain. And all I have to do is listen and follow instructions. Denise and I were committed to the business. We were going to make it work. And with faith and a lot of prayer and God, we've been able to do that. But what happened to Lot's wife? Some of you know the story. She was leaving, but she couldn't resist, right? She had to look back. And when she did, what happened? Pillar of salt. Boom. Her heart was so tied to Sodom and Gomorrah, she had to look back. She couldn't simply follow God's instructions. So I'm pleading with you this morning, wherever you are, try not to look back. Try not to dwell on those things in the past. If we keep going back to the past, man, it'll drain the life out of you. It really will. I encourage you to listen to God in your heart and to follow what it is He's prompting you to do. Third thing I want to share is avoid the comfort of the past. The Israelites recalled where they had come from. Plenty of food, plenty of water, plenty of shade. They had shelter. They were also slaves. I think we find comfort in the past. We feel good in the past because we know what we were dealing with. We know how to deal with it. We figured out a way to deal with our past, whatever situation we were in. We want to gravitate back to abusive relationships or maybe immoral lifestyles or even depressive sort of thinking, bad thinking. Just because we're familiar with it. Just because we think we know what to do. And I'm really here to tell you that that's just a false sense of security. As children of God, the life God has for us is far better than where we are now. It's far better than where we've been. We just have to listen and follow instructions. Regardless of how long we've known Him. He wants the best for us. The children of Israel did not differ from us at all, right? Even though they were slaves in Egypt and they cried out to God, free us, free us, we don't like this situation. They never seemed to go past the past. And the bondage was very familiar to them. I mean, they were beat. Does that remind you of somebody in the New Testament? They were put in hard labor every day. They were ridiculed. They were disrespected in front of their family. But yet at night they cried out to God, deliver us. And he heard them. And he sent Moses, the deliverer. I think what we learn is that we often cry out to God to help us in our situation. And there's stories you hear all the time. I prayed to God for this and he delivered me from this bad situation. Uh, on TV you'll hear people saying that. And maybe in your own mind, in your own heart, you've experienced that. And we want to be removed from where we are and taken to a better place. But the caveat is we want to do it on our terms. Look, God, come deliver us from this slavery and all this stuff, but just set us in the promised land right now. We don't want this journey. And the thing is, when we get it our way, unfortunately, it's disappointment. 
Because it's never as good as God's way. His way is, we can't imagine. We don't know what He has plans for us. The Israelites could not see the future. They could not see that the bitter water, that the manna every morning, that the wilderness were only temporary. They couldn't see that God was with them all along. All they could think about is where they had come from and what they had in the past. And in fact, in Exodus 17, 17, verse 2, we see another time that they're complaining to Moses. And it says there, but tormented by thirst, they're thirsty again, they continue to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children and our livestock with thirst? Complaining, grumbling. Are we any different really? today i know i'm not i mean how fast i forget the what i've asked for and god has provided in some way on his terms i want to go back to where i was and the good news the really good news in all this is that jesus came here for you and for me to help us not live in the past paul says in philippians 3 verses 13 and 14 in part he says I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize of which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. We must decide God does not want us to return to the past. He desires the best for us. He wants the best for us. And I have to believe, and I had to believe, that the situation I found myself in COVID would be okay. And it has been okay. The fourth thing I want to share with us this morning is a new beginning. A new beginning. Hopefully we can see that the life of the Israelites was a new beginning. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 10 it says, we destroy, Paul's talking to Corinthians, we we, those in Corinth, we, we destroy every proud obstacle and, and keep, that keeps people from knowing God. We capture the rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. That's what we're here for. Some of you experience the love of God and taken Jesus in as your Savior. And you know where you will spend eternity. And if you, if you read in this book, the Bible, what you'll find is that really for eternity... There's only two alternatives. Only two. One is an eternity of torment and torture. And the other one is one of bliss. There's no way of escaping one of those two according to this book. Tony, Dr. Tony Evans puts it this way. And I quote, If you are a believer today, the only hell you will experience is the hell you experience in the life you live on this earth. If you're not a believer today, the only heaven you'll ever experience is the heaven you experience in the life you live on this earth. That's powerful. You know, if there's anyone ever in the history of man that had a right to complain, every time I want to complain, I just have to look around and find someone who I think it has a little worse than I do, would be Jesus. Right? He was betrayed by a friend. He was wrongfully accused. He was whipped to the point that his back was like 
hamburger meat. Blood poured from his pores. He was so stressed. He had a thorny crown mashed down on his head. He was spat on. He was mocked. He was nailed to a wooden cross. And on that cross, he took away my sin and he will take away your sin. He stood up for me and for you. Last week, we learned that Moses, when they came to the bitter water, found a piece of wood. God told him to put some wood in. Some of your verses or versions may say a tree into this bitter water and it became sweet. Took the toxic out of the water. Can you not see that God nailed his son Jesus to the same wood to take the toxic out of our lives? To make us sweet? It's the same wood that Jesus hung on. This action of Jesus gives you and me the experience of heaven forever. Eternal. Did we deserve that? I didn't. But God is an awesome God. And He loves us enough to send His Son. And you know this verse, Matthew 3.16. And it says, so we can have everlasting life. We can have everlasting life. I said I thought Jesus had the right to complain of anyone, more than anyone. But what did he say when he hung on the cross? In Luke 23 and 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Jesus wasn't looking back to the past. He wasn't remembering a few days ago. He wasn't remembering years ago. No, he was looking to the future. A future sitting at the right hand of his father, a future of you and I joining Him. A future in eternity. On July 9th, just a couple weeks ago, my son, who's in the services, found out his deployment, which he had expected to be on around October 1, was moved to July 18th, last Sunday. Now, my son and his wife are great planners. They plan tomorrow, they plan next week, they plan next month, and they do it. I don't know who he got that from, his mom, I hope. But they have a goal on how they're going to get things done and accomplished. And so their two and a half months of planning got crunched into eight days overnight. As Denise and I were lending them a hand on, on this Saturday after you got the news to try to get some of their tasks done, I had a chance to visit with my daughter-in-law. You see, my son's deployment It was to be after their second child was born. Thankfully, he's been told he'll get to come home for that. But I was asking her, what are you thinking? You know, she didn't share any what ifs. She didn't share, I wish we weren't doing this. She had no regrets. She simply said to me, all I keep saying, faith over fear. Faith over fear. 
Did I mention how grounded these two people are in God and Jesus? So refreshing. Today, sitting here, watching online, wherever you're watching us, some of you are looking back. Some of you are hanging on to the past. Maybe you've been taken advantage of in the past. Maybe you've been wronged in some way. Maybe you've had a rough family life. Maybe you've had a bad relationship or been through a really bad marriage. Maybe someone's wronged you in church and you went away from church. Maybe you've had a something that you're hanging on to and it's a false comfort and happiness and an addiction to someone or something. Maybe you need to find faith over fear. It could be God is pulling ever so slightly on your strings of your heart whispering in your spirit come follow me maybe your day is spirit is stirred and you um, know that you do not know god and you've never received this gift of jesus and we use this churchy term called saved and that can be confusing but it just simply means that you know there's a void in your heart a void in your spirit a void in your being and the only thing that can feel that is is christ and jesus if that's you this morning, I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. Other of you have had a relationship with God and you've walked with Jesus and something took you away. Maybe COVID, maybe a pandemic, but something. You're not walking where you need to be. You've gone back to your old lifestyle. You've gone back to where you are comfortable. But something in your heart this morning saying, I'm ready to join you, God, as I am where I am. Don't look back. Don't look back. I want to pray with you too. Regardless of where you are this morning, regardless of where you are, we're going to pray. And if you would, just close your eyes and bow your head and, and listen to what my prayer is. And if you feel like this is where you are, you don't have to say the words I'm saying. You can just say them in your heart. Say them in your mind's eye. Just act on them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day that we're gathered and here in your house and online watching. And Father, some of us here, Father, we don't, we don't know you. We don't have that experience of Jesus in our life. And Father, we feel a need to fill that void. And it's just simple, Father. Father, I'm a sinner. Father, I need you in my life to forgive me of those sins. And Father, I believe in the Bible. And Father, I believe that you sent your son for me to take on my sins. And Father, I want you in my life and I, I want to follow you, God. And Father, others are here. Father, I miss you. I was with you. I know what it's like. Father, I'm here. Take me back. Take me as I am, where I am. So the band's going to continue to play. And there's going to be some of our church leaders and volunteers come to the front. And what I want you to do is that tug you feel, that desire to reach out, to take that step, come up here. Share with them the water you're in. Share with them this new belief. Share with them where you are. They're here to pray for you. And that little tug you feel, that's God. That's God. Don't wait. Don't tarry. Just come on. 
step out. Don't look back. Look at what the end is. Let's play the end game. Come.